it's been a very um, long journey. It's been quite an incredible journey as well. And it kind of actually started from um, studying college. At first, when I was at university, um, I had a project on hats, makeup and jewellery, uh, doing visual communications at Wolverhampton University. And a friend of mine who was studying at Middlesex University, she said to me, she said, oh, I know a milliner that you should contact. And I was like, a milliner? And I didn't even know what a milliner was. I thought, oh, it's like a millionaire. Or I was, bit, I was very young and naive, very kind of baseball hat, you know, Southeast <laughs> London. I've just come from Woolwich College, which was where I did my A-levels. Oh, and, um, and what happened was I, um, I, uh, I uh, she said this milliner called Philip Tracy. And I worked out a milliner was a person who makes hats. Anyway, I contacted uh, um, Philip Tracy and managed to get his phone number. And I used her landline to contact Philip Tracy. And at the time, you would use the directories or it was or you used um, operator services to get through to people. Not like now. So I managed to get, it's not, not in the 18th or 19th century, <laughs> but it feels that long ago. And uh, I, uh, I managed to contact him and I said, Philip, I'd love to borrow your hats for a photo shoot for my um, university project, which was mm. visual communications on hats, makeup and jewellery. And he said, I don't give my hats to students. And I went, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I was very taken aback. I go, and I just didn't know what to say. And then I put, the, the phone down mm. it was along the lines of I don't give my hats out for mm. photo shoots for people I don't know because he was becoming this big star of, mm. a, of, of a milliner and then what happened was I thought right I'm not taking no for an answer phoned him back again and I said Philip I just want to he goes I just said to you, you I, I can't give you my hat uh, for a photo shoot I said Philip were you not happy when someone gave you an opportunity and then he oh, just yes. went silent Wow. He goes, I give you that. You call me back. That's brilliant. And he said, it shows you've got great enthusiasm. And that was it. He said, come to London, because I was still in the halls of residence at Wolverhampton. He said, come to London and you can borrow my hats one by one and uh, photograph them. But you can't photograph them. Um, you can't take them away to another studio, but you can photograph them actually in the, in the street or wherever or find mm. an in interesting way to do it. So I gathered um, my friend who was a stylist, who was a girl at Mid Middlesex, she was studying fashion. Mm -hmm. And I got my um, a makeup artist and I got a, a, a up and coming model from an agency, which was an agency called Elite, who were also in Covent Garden at that time. There were, we used to, it, Covent Garden and Bloomsbury was the place to be basically. We were like, wow, you know, it was all happening here. And then um, managed to get the, uh, um, this model. And then, we, and then I took the hats one by one into Elizabeth Street where Philip was and I, where his studio is in Elizabeth Street uh, at the time. And then I took the hats and there was a church just around the back of Elizabeth Street, which had, um, it was having some building work done. And it was, there was an alcove of the church door. And on that, that, that church door, there was a white board, which was in front and the sunlight was hitting it on that door. So then I thought, hold on a minute, that's brilliant. I'll use that as my studio. So my first proper kind of fashion shoot was with Philip Tracy's hat in um, in the front of this church door, which the church door was my um, white background for these pictures. And they came out incredible. And it was like an amazing um, um, sunlight that day. <clears throat> it looked like a beautiful kind of um, very Los Angeles type Herb Ritz, who's a famous photographer studio. Then I basically came back to the house 
and there's this woman sitting there and she was had this lipstick all over her face and this big hat all over this like it was like a shape of a hoover and she was very eccentric and she said my dear boy she said are you from india and i said yes she said all my friends all my family are living in sri lanka and i've got lots of people in sri lanka you must come to my apartment after your shoot then basically went to her apartment which was in elizabeth elizabeth street as well onto the top floor and uh, she was on the phone to American Vogue and she said, darling, I want Linda, Christie and Naomi for a photo shoot with Arthur Elgort. And what temperature would you like your steak? She was talking to this, I think Polly Mellon or one of these American Vogue editors, the shoots with Arthur Elgort, she was saying. And, um, and I looked at her and she was just looking at me and I was with my friend and we were like two little kids in this room and she still had the Hoover hat on, lipstick all over her face. Then she said, uh, she goes, oh, have a biscuit, have a biscuit. And she gave me this biscuit, which was on the mantelpiece. I took it, this biscuit, ate the biscuit. And then I saw her. And then basically, as I went downstairs, I looked at all of Philip's hats, but I hadn't really seen them all in this special room. I was basically Alice in Wonderland. You know, once I'd taken the bite of the biscuit, it yeah. was this big kind of narrative of yeah. being mesmerized by what was happening. And then Isabella um, kind of took me under her wing. And I said, I want to photograph you. And she said, no, I'm frightfully ugly. You, Dickie wants to photograph me. And I was like, who's Dickie? And it was Richard Avedon is like the star <laughs> of the world. Um, so she said, oh, Dickie. Uh, she, then she was, we became kind of friends. We, she looked after me for, for a few weeks and she kind of said, oh, you know, let me introduce you to people. Um, mm -hmm. I introduced, she introduced me to Sel Selena Blow, who was her sister-in-law mm -hmm. and also to Alexander McQueen. Amazing. Alexander McQueen. When that's where it all happened, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isabella, Alexander McQueen, Philip Tracy. Yeah. Prior to that, I was just a kind of cute student who was cool. Yeah. But those three mentored me into the world of fashion. So that was obviously your break. Can I just, the temperature of the steak reminds me so much of Devil Wears Prada. Now I believe yeah. that is a completely factual, that's not a fictional movie, that's actually a factual movie. It's a documentary. Um, but Ram, let me just bring you back, if I can. So just A-levels in Woolwich, Wolverhampton uh, University, right? Yeah. You're obviously doing photography. Can I ask you, they were obviously your breaks, but what made you think you could do photography? What was the thing in your life experience or just something you fell into? What was that? Why was that initial interest? I think it came a lot from being Indian and watching Bollywood cinema. And okay. I think I was, I grew up at the time um, wanting to see Indian cinema on the, on the screen. We used to go on Sundays to these makeshift cinemas with my parents to look at these beautiful, colorful exoticism, these amazing colors. And I thought of other worlds. And of course, being British as well, growing up here, I was watching all this, you know, Jamie and the Magic Torch and these mm. Mr. Mr. Ben, you know, those kind of TV programs. At the time, you know, it was very, um, there was a lot of fantasy. And mm. at the time, when, and also when, when you would have that, when we had the television, we, at the time we had a black and white TV and then it went into colour. So there was all this kind of growing up of this fantastical of, you know, like nature. My parents used to take me to... Um, all the lovely parks and mm. you know uh, growing up like we, in, we grew up in I grew up in Kent and then we used to um, go to all the lovely kind of places I, I was really inspired so I think that was my inspiration I think having the um, those it was a it was a culmination of various things mm. that made me want to do photography and then also as well I loved taking photographs of my mum I had a little camera my brother was like he had this he was like the cool older brother he was, was had cameras and like little 
filters and I, I would be like I want the camera I want to be in the camera yeah, yeah. and then he used to make me pose for pictures and I used to pose I was about seven and uh, just like the garden and I would really overtly pose like really like and he'd be like no just don't do that <laughs> and then um it, it we grew up and and looking at as, as we all do like being in England and we grew up with the culture of having photographs in family albums so it was always nice to get the photos when they'd come back from like boots or something you know so I think that was it was it, it was a total mix up mashup yeah yeah meant to be meant to be meant I think. to be yeah, definitely. yeah and then obviously the breaks even you know gave that more concrete evidence that it was it was meant to be I've got a there's a question I really want to ask you because you know obviously a lot of students listen to this output on Bloomsbury Radio and what I find fascinating about you is you, you become an established photographer but then you decided to go back into higher education. Can I ask you why you did that? Well, basically, I think even though, you know, I, I became very successful working around the world for magazines like Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, and I still do. But however, I felt while I was doing that, it was all on the surface. It seemed a bit vacuous in a way. And I wanted to bring a different methodology, a different idea to uh the photography and I think almost like a philosophy of photography uh, or the meaning behind the picture and I would always find that the narrative was very important and I think it's just like with image and text like obviously now I'm writing a lot I'm taking pictures uh, I'm doing lots of things but I think it was really important to come to a point where you contextualize whether you're doing art whether you're doing law whether you're doing you know business studies I think mm -hmm. there's always a creative element to that like you can bring creativity into everything and the more creativity you bring into it the more successful you can be in your chosen field that's brilliant to hear that um so what is so that is your philosophy about photography what specifically is that philosophy then would you mind sharing that with us your own I person think, i think it's the, i think it's the narrative i think okay. it's all about the narrative i think it's also the story and i think the philosophy more from I think more underpinning images you see now every day, like on Instagram, social media, TikTok, we see yeah. that all the time. And I think what sets your photography apart or your text apart is when you have some intrinsic knowledge about a certain subject. And I think mm -hmm. that definitely make, makes it more, um, uh, rather than being a generic image, it makes it so colorful. Mm -hmm. In fact, the color, the colorful image or the writing, it becomes far more, there's far more to it. You know, there's far more to uh, an image or a story, you know, rather than just yeah. a quick flick. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you working with Bloomsbury Festival and this particular exhibition. So let's start, how did you actually get involved with the festival itself? So basically it was more, um, when I came to Bloomsbury, I fell in love with the Bedford Estates. I, I was living, I had my studio in East London and, and I wanted to find a place in a studio in East London in, uh, just by a Trinity Boy Wharf, uh, Canary, uh, by Canary Wharf, which was an amazing a studio. But I was traveling so much around the world doing photo shoots and I was very, I wasn't really there half the time. Then I thought, let me find a place in London where I can have that kind of community, where I can have a nice apartment, which can I, I can kind of base myself and walk everywhere. Uh, and then I got in touch with the Bedford Estates and I found, you know, I found, found, found them very nice to work with as, as living in the Bedford Estates. And then I decided to, um, and I mentioned to them that I did photography and they kind of said, oh, would you be interested to do a series of uh, pictures of lockdown? Because they wanted to kind of have 
a record mm. of what was happening and it was mm. just one of those things because we were all kind of like oh what's you know we're all really in the first lockdown we were really like stuck what we're going to do and mm. it was a creative way of kind of and I it was really weird I in a way in the back of my mind I put that out there in my mind that I wanted to do a project on lockdown in central London because the police were actually kind of stopping everyone even if you were going on Westminster Bridge to take a picture they were being quite tough mm. at that time mm. and I wanted to do it so then I, I had the perfect excuse you know to say well I'm doing something for the Bedford Estates or whatever and I didn't really have I didn't get stopped anyway yeah. Uh, yeah. taking pictures so I, I, I my sister for, uh, kindly bought me a um, fantastic bicycle which was a, a Brompton lovely little bike and I just had my camera and I rode around zipped around the areas pretty much you know for a good period of weeks hmm. and um took this series of pictures so in, in relation to these pictures then that you're, you'll be sharing with the general public you've already had sort of sort of preconceived ideas going into that project I, I would have thought that's probably quite natural for anything creative so i'd like to ask you what sort of what preconceived ideas did you have and what did you learn from hmm. these photographs and how did that marry or not marry or were you surprised by anything yeah, I was really surprised. I think it was how, number one, I think how nature really came through and it, it fought through all the elements of what we were going through. And I think it made, at the time, it made me stop and look at nature, look at the trees, look at the trees in Bedford Square, look at all the lovely nature we have around us. And I think primarily about the trees, you know, and um, it felt the air pollution wasn't as bad. So it made me feel really good. So my my preconceived ideas were more, it was more of an adventure. I think rather than, I thought, uh, rather than me thinking, oh, I'm gonna go out and take this picture of something abstract, it was more about, let's just see what happens. You know, let's see what happens. I mean, I would get up really early, you know, for the good light in the morning from a technical aspect. And I would, then I would maybe go back to my apartment and study. Mm -hmm. Then I would say, right, I've done enough studying now. The light's really good at three to three to seven. And I'll go out at between three and seven because you get those lovely shadows and that kind of dramatic uh, thing rather than a flat image. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I think particularly as well, it was more in a way of an essay of my personal feelings as well. Like, you know, like there was a pic there's a picture when you see the exhibition of I remember that I'll print that one. Uh, with um, the university gates and they've got this big massive lock on this, this like padlock you know in this digital age it's like really like oh my god this old-fashioned it's almost like from the medieval times yeah um but that's kind of what um my idea was really well brilliant and how that translates into lockdown doesn't that mean to have yeah. that kind of yeah uh old-fashioned big padlock so how many photographs how, how are we practically going to go and see this exhibition how do we actually physically go to the space it's in Bedford Square isn't that right it's Bedford Square I think there's going to be all the way around the square I yeah. think the images are going to be all the way around there and they'll be uh, weatherproof so pe I think people you know can the opening I think is on the 16th and people mm -hmm. can still go and see them afterwards as well um so they've uh, i'm still in talks with them how they're going to be actually displayed um from that point perspective brilliant sounds absolutely fantastic ram i don't want to let you go too soon because i do want to ask you just to well no, one, it's fine. I've got time, yeah. there's one particular personal question i really want to ask because uh and i'm not doing you a service here i know i'm not but i, I see that you've worked with amy winehouse eddie redmayne dame judy dench naomi campbell i, I mean do you have a particular favorite particular fabulous model 
Uh, I think they've all been fantastic. I think for me, what I like is, um, I think Dame Judi Dench was incredible. Amy was amazing. They're all those, they're all been so fantastic. Killian Murphy was amazing as well. You know, these, I think at the moment as well, uh, the late Helen McCrory wow. was yeah. so amazing to work with. She was a, a beautiful, amazing person managed, because I have a magazine as well called The Protagonist Magazine. And she's, we put her on the cover of that. And she was um, such a pleasure to work with. And also Dame Judi Dench. And J Dame Judi Dench opened one of my exhibitions as well at um, Sotheby's, when I was at Sotheby's. And that was brilliant, uh, uh, India Fantastic. But yeah, I think more so, I think it's more, each one for me is a personal moment. I mean, Eddie Redmayne was superb because he would come without his PA, without a whole team, you know, he would just turn up with a book of poetry um, and then we we bounced off each other. I mean, we would basically, I would I would say, right, you know, I said, now, Eddie, you know, uh, I want you to laugh. I would do work, it was like words, work, laugh, cry, you know, you know, and all these expressions. So it was almost like, a, and he enjoyed working with me because it was more of a, a you know, a dramatic training. Um, so in that respect, yeah, they're, they're, they're being all uh, brilliant, brilliant people. I'm so glad you mentioned Helen McCrory because I didn't. And um, I think her passing caught everybody by surprise. I don't know if it did you, but certainly that was because that was kept so quiet. Mm. Her illness, um, which of course is her right, but it was, I was, because I just, for me, it's Peaky Blinders. I mean, yeah. she is the reason why that I watched that show and uh, yeah. even how they're going to finish the production of that without her, I don't know how they're going to achieve it. But she, what an extraordinary person. And you only hear amazingly good things from anybody talking about her yeah. since that happened. So yeah, very, very sad. Just a very down to earth person. Like literally when I heard her new, the news, I was, I was like, could not believe it. Um, but did she was such a nice, caring, kind, considerate, amazing person. I mean, they all have been, mm. but with her, you could really feel something. You know, she had this presence, like, I don't know what it was. It was like, there's some magical quality. Yeah, I think even Killian Murphy has talked about working with her, that she's yeah. the most extraordinary giver, yeah. you know, on set when you're, when you're acting with her. Ram, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, because I can only imagine how busy you are. Um, so thank you so much.
Yeah, absolutely. So, Rick, so when does Oliver Sacks' His Own Life come out in UK cinemas? Um, we're so thrilled it's going to be.